All right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle Church, man. Great to be with you guys. And all of our campuses joining us online right now. We got Robertsdale, Thomasville, we have Midtown Mobile, Daphne, and all of those joining us online. We're really glad to be together in the middle of the summer. We're going to continue our water series today. We are looking all summer in the scriptures at places where water had a prominent part in what the Bible is revealing to us. And remember, the primary thing the Bible does is reveal God to us. And today we're going to see Jesus work his first miracle, which is turning water into wine, all right? And as we look at this first miracle that Jesus performed, we are going to see who God really is. We're going to learn so much about who he is, because that is why Jesus came, to reveal to us who God is. So as we dive into that today, my prayer, my hope, is that at the end of the day, you will see Jesus for who he is, that you'll be blown away by him. If you're a Christian, that you will once again be reminded of just how good and great your Savior is. And if you're not a Christian, I pray that you will be drawn to the goodness of Jesus and the message of the gospel today. So Jesus told us something about himself when he came. In John 10.10, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now that's telling, right? Jesus is saying to us, I don't want you to just have some normal life. If you believe in me, I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to have joy in every circumstance. That means that if you're a Christian, listen, everything can become extraordinary. So we'll say this, the ordinary becomes extraordinary in Christ. That's what we learn. This is why we say that there's no part of your life that you should not glorify God with it. I like to eat ribeyes to the glory of Jesus, all right? Uh, glorify Jesus in all things. This means the mundane. This means Monday morning can become God honoring and glorifying in Christ. He takes the little details of our lives and makes them matter. Everything matters when you become a Christian. He promised this, that he came to bring us life and life abundantly. And the, the miracle we're going to look at today, the first miracle that Jesus worked, is going to show us just how abundant the life Jesus brings really is. John wrote this. Remember who John is. John is, uh, was the youngest of the disciples when Jesus was uh, here in his earthly ministry. John, many believe, was a teenager uh, as one of the disciples. John uh, was very close to Jesus. He was the only one to watch Jesus die on the cross. John is a very young man. Jesus, from the cross, gives uh, the care of his mother over to John. And then John is going to be a major leader in the early church. He becomes an old man. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he gets put on the island of Patmos. And, and there he writes Revelation. So John's a major part of our faith. And he writes his gospel. And his gospel, because he's so close to Jesus, is very intimate. He gives us amazing intimate details and insights into what was really going on. So today we're going to go to a wedding with Jesus. And we're going to see him work his first miracle. And John's going to give us so many details. It's going to be great. John 2, 1 through 2 says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, I like to slow things down. Because sometimes we just go through the Bible too fast. We miss little details. Have you ever been watching a ball game and, and you missed something and you thought, uh, I know what just happened there. And then they did the instant replay and slowed it down and you realized, oh my gosh, he stepped out of bounds. I didn't realize it. Or he didn't really catch that pass. Or that was pass interference. 
And, and you know, on and on and on it goes. Because when you slow it down, you see more. And sometimes we just blow through the Bible, we miss the details. So today, if you don't mind, we're going to take this like an instant replay all day. We're just going to slow it down. Is everyone good with that? All right? Y'all good with that in Thomasville and Robertsdale? How about Midtown Mobile? I know I can hear you from, from there. Y'all, I can hear you. All right, so we're going to slow it down. What is something we can grab from this? Well, first of all, it's a wedding. It's taking place at, at a home. That's where these, these things happen. And it's, it's in a community in Cana. And then I love Jesus' mom is there. And many theologians, and there's details to point to this, believe that she may have been the wedding planner. Okay? So Jesus' mom was involved in this wedding, and there's a lot of details that show us that. But also, I think it's pretty amazing, Jesus got invited to weddings. Imagine putting Jesus on your invitation list. The Bible doesn't say he just showed up. He got invited. He and his disciples. This means they know each other. He was a real human, folks. When we talk about Jesus, he was a real historic human. He, was a, he wasn't floating around with a halo on his head and weird. No one wanted to be around him. He was a real person that people wanted to be around. Like, God invite Jesus to the wedding. This is at the beginning. People don't realize who he is yet. He hasn't unveiled his glory yet to the world. But that's about to happen. Not to the world yet, but to his disciples on this day. So the first thing we see here is that Jesus is going to perform his first miracle in a home, at a wedding, at a feast. What does that tell you about God? Jesus came to show us who God is, to reveal God to us. So if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. And maybe your idea of God is off a little bit. Because, you know, A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about a person is what they think about God when they think about him. So what has your picture of God been? Do you believe he's a celestial police officer just waiting to, you know, write that ticket to you? Or do you believe that he's an, an old grandpa that doesn't, you know, just kind of get in his lap and tug on his beard and he'll give you another toy? I don't know. What, what do you think about God? Is he the Michelangelo picture where he's like, you know, old guy with his finger out and humanity's reaching out? And I don't know what you think about God, but why don't we let God tell us who he is? How about that? Why don't we let God, because he is the self-revealing God. He says, I am. I'll tell you who I am. And nowhere does he tell you who he is more than Jesus. Jesus is God, walking around, doing stuff. So we can see this is who God is. And his first miracle, when he decides to show those closest to him who he is, he does it not in the temple, but at a home. He's personal. It's not that the temple didn't matter. I'm not diminishing the temple. It's just that Jesus decides to unveil his glory for the first time in a home. He's personal. He's with us at a wedding, not a funeral. Funerals are important. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm a pastor. I do uh, officiate a lot of funerals. I officiate a lot of weddings. I like weddings better. I do. C.S. Lewis and I agree with him. C.S. Lewis said that weddings were like slices of heaven for us. Weddings are like heaven's going to be. Think about it. When we get to heaven, the Bible describes what it's going to be like. When we all get there, it does not describe a funeral. It describes what? It's going to be the wedding feast. There's going to be dancing. There's going to be music and laughter and wine. It's going to be incredible. And guess what? It makes sense because Jesus' first miracle is at that very same environment. Jesus is at a wedding and a feast. Look, y'all, Jesus loves a great party. He really does. In fact, we did a series years ago about all the meals Jesus had. If you just look, every time you turn around, Jesus is eating with people. He's hanging out with people. He's talking with people. He's loving people, connecting with people. It's amazing. This is who God is. We look at God. I want you to get a new view. 
an accurate view of who he is from the scriptures. This tells you who he is. So if this is true, if the founder of our faith decides to show his glory for the first time in this type of environment, this tells me the life of a Christian should be marked with fullness and joy. If he's our founder, if he's who we're following, our lives should be marked with love and connection and passion and and life as well. I'm going to be honest with you. I look at some Christians' social media pages and I'm like, oh, y'all hadn't heard we win in the end because y'all so mad. (laughs) Y'all didn't realize... Y'all forgot Jesus came out of the tomb. Y'all must think he's still dead. Because there's no way you could be that mean and grumpy and bitter and really know the truth of the Bible. Right? We have every reason to be joyful. So if we're going to follow this Jesus, then we're going to have to up our joy game, y'all. We're going to have to get happy. And not happy in a fake way where we ignore reality. No, Jesus is in a broken world. He's got three and a half years from this point, and they're going to nail him to a cross, and yet he will keep saying over and over again, I came to bring life and life more abundantly, and I bring a joy to my followers that even death can't take away from them. Jesus is not just Sunday morning stuff. Y'all, it is Monday morning stuff. Jesus infiltrates our lives. That's who he is. That's what he does. Fullness and joy. And then... We need to talk about the wedding. So the Bible says they're invited to the wedding, and they go. And Mary is a part of the wedding somehow. We don't know exactly how, but we can, we can kind of imagine that she, maybe she's helping plan it because of some of the details we're going to see now. But then something's going to happen, and I need to show you why what you're about to read is so devastating and so important because you need to understand what weddings were like. And again, I just did a beautiful, officiated a beautiful wedding on the Bluffs a few weeks ago here in Fairhope and those at our other campuses. I know y'all all have that place in your town, uh, your community where people love to get married. And, and, and so in Fairhope, it is out on these Bluffs on Mobile Bay. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, it gets really hot in June. Even, you know, it's hot. So I was in a suit and I'm sweating down, man. But it was awesome. But it's like an, it's an hour and a half type affair. And then you go and you have a couple hours of reception and all that. In Jesus' day, a wedding lasted for a week, y'all, a week. It was a long deal, like it was a big deal. Days and days of celebration and dancing and all of these things that would happen and meal after meal. It was a big deal. The whole community came together. It was a big deal. And what you need to also understand is that the wedding was a proving ground for the groom. And he had been proving himself for a year. So let me tell you how this worked. So the groom didn't just ask a woman to marry him and then they're off and we're, we're off to the races. No, he would ask for the hand of a woman and that was called betrothal and that would last for like a year. And during that year, that man had to prove that he could actually be a man and take care of this woman he is asked to marry. And some things he had to do is get a job. And he had to get his finances in order and prove to the community and to mom and dad that he could do this. He had to build a house or buy one. He had to get all of that in order. Sounds like a good idea for today, doesn't it? I'm just saying, can I get an amen, everybody? You know what I mean? So, I'm, you know, I've let my daughter Gracie know I'm going to go back to betrothal days and the Bible. And uh, So that's what's happened. So he is, 
He's having to prove himself, and he's put all that together, and then comes the wedding, and the wedding is the final proving ground for the groom, where he's got to show the community, it's a big deal, that he is a man now, and he can take care of this woman, and this celebration, the way it's put together, the way it's provided for is an illustration of his ability to do that, and with all of that said, that's why this line matters, John 2, 3 through 5, when the wine ran out, can everyone collectively say with me, "Uh uh-oh. Uh oh. Or Scooby Doo would say, Rrr. That's one of my favorite uh, impressions I did for my kids when they were little. And I realized that it's not really adult material, okay? So I get it, I get it, right? Uh oh. It's a bad moment. It's bad because the wine ran out in one of the things that could not happen at a wedding in those ancient times was to let the wine run out. Because when the wine runs out, that is a signal. Wine did several things you need to understand. Number one, it was wine, and you could enjoy it, and it was this wonderful thing and a blessing from God, all right? But also, wine would be used because they're thirsty. It's been days and days, and you're providing for these people, and wine was the safest thing to drink because their water was not like, look, y'all, they didn't have a faucet. Okay, it it was problematic, water in that day. So they would take wine, which they had, and they would mix it with water to even make just what they're drinking to hydrate be good. Well, now that the wine's gone, they're not going to have any wine to enjoy, and they're not going to have any wine to purify their water with. We got a big problem, and what that's going to be is humiliating and embarrassing to this young man and his family. And it's going to follow him the rest of his life. It is going to be a mark on him on the the day he needed to get it right. He got everything else. And he blew it here. And by the way, make no mistake, the wine did run out. This young groom blew it. Don't ever forget that. Like, we forget that in the story. He didn't plan right. He blew it. They ran out, and the party's still going. They ran out. There's still people there. And this was about to be a disaster for him. Everyone would have talked about it forever. In the community, 20 years later, they'd be like, there he is, old Johnny couldn't even plan his own wedding. I'm surprised he's even still here. You know, forever it would have been the thing because no one runs out of wine at the wedding. So the Bible says they ran out of wine. Now you know this young man's predicament. By the way, this young man has no idea. He's out there just hanging out. He doesn't realize what has happened. But someone does know what's happened, and it's why theologians believe maybe she was involved in the wedding. It says, the mother of Jesus said to him, The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Don't you love how moms can be a little pushy sometimes? Uh, Jesus, they have no wine. Oh, yeah, we know what's going on. Very human. Verse 4, and Jesus said to her, woman. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up with strong women. My mom, my grandma, if there ever were, if, if I had ever looked at my grandmother and said, woman, <laughs> possibility I'm not standing here today, <laughs> at least not talking correctly. My grandmother could swing a gumbo spoon like you just wouldn't believe. But this is where the English language does not help us because it sounds so harsh to us, and in the Hebrew, it is not that. Jesus is not being harsh with his mom. He's really not. But he is being clear, 
And something is happening here that's very important for us, and it happens to all adults. Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother, and I love that his mom goes, okay, okay, to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. She's just assuming he's going to do something. There's all kinds of human things happening here, and it's beautiful. If you'll let yourself look at the Bible in the eyes of humanity and go, wow, this is beautiful. This is real. This is real. This is how life works. This is how your life works. Jesus stepped into real life. Mary was a real human. No matter what certain sections of religion has told you, she was not divine. She was chosen by the divine, but she was a mom and a real human. And by the way, she needed a Savior too, and Jesus is going to save her. Jesus is not disrespecting her. He is a he is a mom and dad honoring Jewish man, like all good Jewish men would have been. At the cross, he makes sure his mom's going to be taken care of. He will honor his mom. But what is he saying? He's doing like every adult does. He's a 30-year-old man. He now has disciples. And for those that can hear, he's letting them know, I am now a, I'm a man, and I have my own plans. And I make my own plans. For instance, I'm 44. I did not call my mom yesterday and say, hey, mom, what time do I need to be home tonight? She would have said, uh, you talking to the wrong lady. No, yesterday I called Nan and asked her what time I had to be home. My wife. Right? No, I don't call my mom because there's a line of demarcation in every kid's life that they step into adulthood and watch this. We stop, you, you don't obey your parents. Children obey their parents. Adult children honor their parents. There comes a line where we all know it and healthy, healthy people understand how this happens. That's what's happening here. And Jesus is just saying, hey, I don't, like, I don't do what you do. Mom, I don't do what you tell me to do. I do what the Father tells me to do. But it's not as much for Mary. It's for his disciples to know what's going on here. This is a day they're going to see who he really is. And he's saying, I'm about my father. So Jesus is transitioning from private family member to public Messiah. And he's committed to the will of his father. And this was a big moment. So now you know all that's going on here. You have a wedding party that's been going on for days. And the greatest embarrassment to a young man is happening and he doesn't even know it. They've run out of wine. They're drinking their last glasses of wine right now. They're mixing their last... They're purifying their last cup of water right now so it's safe to drink. It's hot. They're all having fun. They have no idea. Disaster is about to come. But a few people know. Mary, who's evidently involved, some servants are about to find out, and Jesus and his disciples. All of this is happening. And the Bible tells us in John 2, now there were six stone water jars there, but slow the Bible down. Let's go to instant replay, or you'll miss what jars they were. You just go, oh, he has some jars. No, no, no. They were for Jewish rites of purification. These were sacred jars and they were used in religious purification rites. In other words, these were the jars that water was held in that you used only to cleanse your skin in preparation for worship and sacrifice. All right, you following us? And that's what they look like. That's what the jars look like. And those are the actual jars that they, no, I'm just kidding. We don't know. But these are some that were found from that time period. And they were massive. Let's go back to the scripture and look what it says. They were for purification. Each held 20 or 30 gallons. Think about it. That's big, right? They're big, heavy things. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now, a few things we're going to learn here. First of all, these pots were for purification. They were not for drinking wine. They were not even for drinking water. That's not what they were used for. They were not common. There were common 
containers for the wine and the water. These, you don't do that with them. And everyone knew it. They knew what they were. The water pots, write it down, were intended not for drinking, but for bathing for religious ritual. What is Jesus up to? He is showing them that his sacrifice is going to be superior over the Jewish sacrificial system. And he will do this over and over again. This is just the first one. Over and over again, he's going to teach people what you've been doing all these years, God told you to do. I'm now completing it. I'm now completing what you've done. His death on the cross will complete the ultimate sacrificial system. He fulfills all of it, including this bathing thing. Now, how did this work? Now, watch. Don't miss the details because the gospel is dripping all over this story. Now, think about it. Jesus fills up jars with water, and what's he about to turn the water into? The jars that hold the water that cleanse people's outsides. Listen, thank you for the help. I hear a child over there like, I'm with you. I'm with you, Pastor. Amen. Raising them right. All right. For those of you at our other campuses, we got kids here. Y'all let them rip, man. You kids there, let them go and talk back to me. I can just hear you at all the campuses right now. We love it. All right. So they use the water out of those jars to clean their skin, okay? Jesus is going to turn that water into wine. And at the Last Supper, Jesus will tell his disciples, now the wine represents my blood. Jesus is showing them what he will continue to show them, that everything they've ever done only cleansed the outside as a symbol. What he's going to do is going to cleanse their hearts and souls, and it'll be for real. Everything they had ever done had cleaned dirt from their skin. Jesus, with his blood, is going to cleanse sin from their hearts. And only he can do that. He is showing this in every little thing he is doing. That's why James 4, 8 over in the New Testament, after it's all done, it says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. That's something you do with the purification rites. But also it says, purify your hearts. We can't do that. You can't cleanse your own heart. Only Jesus can. Also, I want you to notice uh, that the Bible tells us here that when he told them to fill it up, they did. That's important. You want a miracle in your life? You want to see God do great things? Obey him, even when it doesn't make sense. It had to have been weird for them because you know how much work it is to fill up 30 and 40 gallon jugs, jars back then? Remember, they don't have faucets. They don't have a water hose. Oh, no problem. No, they got to go to a well. It's work. You like the sound effect? I can do it again if you want again. Y'all want more of that? I give it to you. Get you there. It was work. They just did it. And because they obeyed, good things happened. Look, as Christians, we must obey God and trust him with the outcomes. Obey God. You might get a miracle. Obey God. He may turn water to wine. But how many miracles have we all missed in our lives when we just wouldn't do what he told us to do? They obeyed him. They did what he said to do. That's why James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not just hearers. And then comes the miracle, John 2, 8 through 10. Then he said to them, after all that work, they filled them up. He says, now draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, all right? Now, while they're walking with the water, something happened. Now, some of us might like to think that Jesus did some kind of like fireworks in there and, and, and did this motion over the top of the jar. I don't know what he did. It seems way less than that. It seems like he just said, just grab some. Take a cup of it, take it to the master of the ceremonies. 
And as they're walking there, what's in that cup changes miraculously. This wasn't some trick. It was miraculous because there's no grapes involved. It's just water, and it's going to become the best wine anyone's ever had. It's going to become award-winning on their way. It says that they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, he did not know where it came from. I love that John throws this detail in. But the servants who drew the water knew. Which tells me that maybe as the guy's drinking it going, oh my goodness, they're looking back over their shoulder going, we know who did it. We know who it is. Now watch. I want to pause because here you're going to see the gospel and you're going to see a beautiful picture of the gospel. And now I want you to see yourself. You're not in the story, but you're a recipient of the same grace you're about to see. Okay, watch this. Now think about it. You've got a bridegroom who has no idea that he really blew it, has no idea how bad he blew it, has no idea they were running out, that the embarrassment was coming upon him. Watch this. But a young man is about to get credit, full credit, for something he had nothing to do with but that Jesus has done for him. He doesn't even know how bad he blew it. He didn't ask Jesus to do it for him. But Jesus has done something for him that will forever change how people look at him. He's covered for him. That's what he's done. He's covered for this young man. And so... Like all of us who have received the gospel, the master of the feast calls the bridegroom and says to him, everyone serves the good, I love, like this is what they did back then. Everyone serves good wine first, then when people have drunk freely, they bring out the bad wine, the poor wine, the cheap wine. But you, you, and the young man's thinking in his heart, I didn't didn't do, uh, I didn't do anything. But everyone in the building, like he's getting all the, he's getting all the good. He did nothing. And yet he says, but you kept the good wine until now. In other words, you are exceptional. You did it right. No one's ever thrown a wedding like you. You, young man. And this young man's going, I, I barely afforded this whole thing. And, and, and truly, he couldn't afford it. And it was, he had run out of wine. And isn't that all of our story? That a good God and a good Jesus in our lives, we blow it, we blow it. We don't even know to ask him for help. And yet at the cross, he gave his life. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, he was treated like he's me and forever I get treated like I'm him. And I didn't earn it and I didn't deserve it. I didn't even ask for it. And yet Jesus on the cross was covering me and covering you and you and you if you believe upon him. And we get credit. We get the credit. Forever, we get the credit for Jesus' perfect life. We get the credit. You will stand before God, and we all know, all of us sinners in this room, don't we? Don't we all know we don't deserve any of this? We're all going to walk in going, "Mm, if you only knew. And the, the Bible tells us that the Father will not see everything you're ashamed of, everything you wish you never did, everything you wish you could put an eraser to, Jesus took care of that for you. He took humiliation for you. He took embarrassment for you. Jesus forever covering us. Oh, you can look through his whole ministry. He did it. Woman at the well, quietly. Hey, you've, got, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. I know you're a mess. I got you. I'll cover you. I'll cover you. Adulterous woman, out for everyone to see. Jesus, I'll cover you. 
He doesn't overlook sin. He deals with the sin, but he says, I will cover you. Oh, go to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they sin. They realize they're naked. They're ashamed, so ashamed. They're hiding from God, and God calls them out and says, I will cover you. Takes the life of animals, uses their skin, and covers them himself, foreshadowing the day he will take the life of his son to cover all of us in his righteousness. How many of us are thankful for the gospel today of Jesus? This is who he is. This is how good he is. How good is Jesus? Good enough to make his first miracle covering for a young guy that didn't have his act together. That's how good he is. He cares that much. And you better believe he cares that much about you. He cares about the intricate details of your life. And he cares about the shame you carry. So many of us in this room carry shame. Let me say, and please don't applaud, but we do rejoice in the judicial decision that was made a couple of days ago. We rejoice in it. We believe it was right. But I know that with that comes so much pain for so many. And I know there's many online at our campuses here today. Maybe you had an abortion or maybe you paid for one. Maybe you talked someone into it and you have carried that shame in the past few days, it's, that has been the collective conversation. You just want it to go away because the enemy whispers at you over and over again that you crossed the line. You went too far. And I'm here to tell you today, the same Jesus that covered for a young man at his wedding and covered for Adam and Eve in a garden and covered for Peter when he denied him three times and covered for me and covered for everyone in this room, he covers you as well if you'll bring your shame to him. He loves you. You have not want, gone too far. You've not out his grace. None of us have. That's how good he is. And he cares. And I want you to hear the love of Jesus for you today if you are hurting. And not just shame from what I just spoke of. But if you're here today and you just have shame you've dealt with for years and you regret and you wish it would go away and Satan keeps whispering, can I tell you, Christians aren't built for shame. Bring your shame to the feet of Jesus. He'll cover you. He'll cover you. With his own blood. So that you can live shame free. Released from the chains. Some of you are Christians. Your sin is under the blood of Jesus. But you still can't get over it. Bring your shame to Jesus. Because he's the great coverer of our shame. I pray that could happen for you today. This miracle reminds us that we start with better, it becomes bitter. But God starts with ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. That's what God does. He's superior in every way. He's superior in every way. This miracle is an example of a good Messiah working a miracle to show just how good he really is. He didn't even tell everyone about it. His disciples knew though. John knew. This young man who writes this gospel for us, he saw it. He said, that's the day I saw his glory. That's the day I realized who he was. The miracles of Jesus had a purpose. They all had a purpose. That's why John says, this was the first of his signs. We saw his glory, we believed in him. And in John 21, 25, he will write, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't hold it. Maybe you've never seen that verse. I'll put it in your handout. That's how good Jesus is. 
So here's what we're going to do today. I think that there's a lot of us who walk in shame, deep shame. And God doesn't want you to. And so we're going to invite you to do something unusual today. And, and it doesn't matter what your shame comes from. If you are walking in shame as a believer today, I'm asking you to lay it at the feet of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to ask everyone in the room and at all of our campuses right now, every single campus in here to stand if you're able. Just stand if you will. We're just going to bow our heads. And then they're going to begin to play some music at every single campus. And we're going to have some folks at the front here right now. They're coming. We're going to have some leaders, male and female. They're going to be waiting for you here at the front to pray with you if you want somebody to pray with you. But you can also just come down here and symbolically kneel and pray. And I want you to leave your shame at the feet of Jesus. We have some of our staff here to pray with you. Let's come to Jesus with our shame and leave it there because he will cover us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word today and your grace. Please minister to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they sing, you come. Come. Let's spend some time with Jesus.